Welcome. Good evening, Hope Ottawa. Good to be with you guys. It's a privilege to bring you greetings, actually, from our elders in Hope Oakville. That's where my wife Carla and I have been members since 2005. We've got three kids that have grown up in that church and uh, saw this church planted out of our church. So you guys are a daughter church to us. We've prayed for you guys like crazy over the years. As a matter of fact, your pastor Ray and I worked together for a bunch of years at Hope Oakville when I was the missions pastor there and when he was preparing to plant this church here. And so, trust me, you guys have been prayed for a lot in our household, prayed for a lot in our church. And man, it's such a privilege to open up God's word with you this morning or this evening. Would you turn with me to Psalm 67? Psalm 67 is our text for today. While you turn there, I'm going to take the opportunity just to pray. So, Father, you are, God, so worthy of all of our praise and all of our adoration. God, there is none like you. Father, you're the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And we love you, and we worship you, and we'll be doing that for all of eternity. And so right now, as we dive into your word, as we look at a song, a psalm, Father, that's being sung now for thousands of years. We recognize that it is no small thing, God, to open up your word and read what was written down for us, that it might edify us tonight, that it might sanctify us tonight, that it would draw us closer to you, that it would call us to a renewal in our holiness and our worship of you. So help us tonight, we pray. Help me, Father, to open up your word and to teach it correctly and accurately for your people. And so, Father, we declare again, our love for you tonight. God, we love you. Help us. Be with us right now, we pray in your awesome name. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 67. Now, before we read this together, let me just um, give you some framework and actually how to approach a text like Psalm 67. I want to lay a bit of a foundation here because what we're reading here is poetry. Um, and it's good to know what we're reading before we're about to uh, read it and how this song is actually laid out. So you might have a subscription in your Bible that says, um, To the choir master with stringed instrument, a psalm and a song. So it says right in here in our word, what, what we're reading here, it's a psalm, it's, it's poetry, it's a song that's been sung for thousands uh, of years. We don't know exactly who the author was of this, some... Some scholars believe it might have been David. It was certainly written in around the time of David. And so this is, of course, in the time where Israel was at its pinnacle as a nation. And of course, they're writing now for our benefit as it was for their benefit back then under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Hebrew writers were often very deliberate in how they structured their writing. And they do that because they're giving us clue as to what the main idea is in their writing. And Psalm 67 is actually written very specifically as a structure. We'll call it a chiasm or an inclusion. And what it is, it's, it's almost like a hamburger. Remember a hamburger paragraph in, in grade nine? So the, the meat's in the middle. And so it's like an arrow pointing down to a main idea. And that main idea is actually in verse 4. We'll see that here in a second. But what, what you need to know is that as this is written, verses 1 and verse 7 actually go together. And then verses 2 and verses 6 actually go together. And then 3 and 5 are actually the exact same verse. We'll see that in a minute. It's actually a call to action. And the main idea is actually verse Four. That's what the author of this psalm was getting at. They wanted us to draw our attention using a specific structure in writing to see what the main idea was. So I wanted to spend some time just setting that up before we read it. And because this is a song and we stand to worship, we should probably stand to read this together. And not only that, we should actually, I need you guys to actually participate in this. So you are going to read verses 3 and verses 5, which you'll see here are identical in a second. So I'm going to read the other ones, but you guys are up for 3 and 5. Everyone say okay? okay? All right, here we go. Here we go. Psalm 67 says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. 
And here's our main idea. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The title of the message today is Let All the Peoples Praise God. We get that right from the opening line. And the first thing I want you to see here is verses 1 and 7. So we're going to work our way down to verses 4. Verses 1 and 7 go together. And the main idea is, this is our first point, may the ends of the earth be blessed. This is a, a prayer request. In March of 2020, Carrie Job wrote and released a song called The Blessing. Some of you may be familiar with that song. It also happened to coincide with the start of a worldwide pandemic, and that pandemic would shut the entire world down. I don't need to recap that season in this country and that season in our world. It was a terrible season. Uh, but on May 16th, 2020, so a few months later, the church in Canada actually came together to sing a medley of the blessing, which if you look it up on YouTube now, is about three quarters of a million views on YouTube. And they wrote in their YouTube description what they were trying to accomplish with this song and the recording of the song. Let me read it to you for you. It's really helpful. This is why they wrote it. It says, as the world has come together in a time of crisis, the church has united in prayer and worship to bless our communities around the world in the name of Jesus. And the church in Canada is beautiful, it's broad and diverse. And it is a nearly impossible task to accurately represent the full breadth of true diversity within the church in Canada from coast to coast. And we can see that even right now in this church, that that is very true. The, this unique project extended an invitation to churches in every province and territory, and we are grateful, they go on to write, for nearly 200 individuals who responded and took part and participated. This was, the, this was their prayer, with one voice, this is our prayer over Canada. Let me read the lyrics for you. It says this, The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you, can you guys hear it as I'm reading? Can you hear the song? You guys know it? It goes on to say in another verse, May his favor be upon you in a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children and their children. And if I could sing, I would sing it for you. And it would be a distraction if I did. Listen, it's a beautiful song that was very helpful to many of us in a hard period in our country. But as I was looking at this, because I was reminded of this song as, as I was studying for this passage, I looked at some of the comments that were on this YouTube um, posting. I'm going to read four of them for you because it really gives you a sense for how the Lord used this particular song. The first one says this. It says, My husband is ex-Muslim from Indonesia. He received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. Please pray for him. Or another guy wrote from India. He says, I am from India. In my hardest times, God led me to your songs. I was overwhelmed, and I felt God's presence. What a comment. Or here from the Philippines. We are so blessed here from the Philippines. We are encouraged and overwhelmed with God's presence through your song. Thank you. You know the Philippines is actually geographically the furthest part, the furthest way you can get from Canada? It's literally the, if you want to go the furthest you can away from Ottawa, go visit the Philippines. It's literally the other side of the world. This song made it all the way to the other side of the world with their message. And I, the fourth one, which I thought was just so bang on, this is from Australia. The lady says this, God bless Canada with love from Australia. May he bless all the nations on earth. What a prayer. What a prayer. What a song. So the question is, what is the, the blessing, which is a song written in 2020, and Psalm 67, written about 3,000 years ago, what do these two songs have in common? And I'll tell you, they're both based on Numbers 6, verses 24 to 26. Let me turn there my Bible for you. You can join me there if you want. Number 6. And this is the Lord speaking to Moses in verse 
23, or 22 rather, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And it goes on to say, So shall they put my name upon their people of Israel, and I will bless them. This passage here, you've probably heard that before. Um, this, is, this is known as the Aaronic blessing or Aaron's blessing. It's a benediction. For thousands of years now, churches all around the world have been using this um, benediction to close out their services. As a matter of fact, I was reading some um, history on John Calvin. John Calvin preached four times a week in his ministry. Almost always he concluded his messages with this passage. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And then we read Psalm 67. What does it say there? May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. It's the same thing. So here we have the psalmist referring us back to Numbers chapter 6 and a beautiful promise from the Lord. So I want you to consider the timeline this morning of God's people. So Moses, commanded by the Lord, wrote down this blessing about 2,000 years ago. And then Psalm 67 was written about the time of King David, so about 1,000 years B.C. So 2,000 B.C., repointed out 1,000 years later, and here we are today, a thousand generations later, we've been singing and praying for the Lord's blessing all the way up till today. We sing, God bless us. God be gracious to us. God make his face shine upon us. That's our reality tonight. If you're here today, June 3rd, 2023, the Lord has made a way so that you would know him. That's our reality. He has orchestrated the entire timeline of history so that you could be a part of the blessing that we're praying for here in Psalm 67. Listen, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, the reality for you today is that God's face, his smiling face, is upon you. That's your reality. So can I suggest maybe a point of application as we consider the first and the seventh verse of this song, we should count your blessings. Write that down. If you're taking notes, count my blessings. Count your blessings. Today's actually my 23rd wedding anniversary. Carl and I are in Ottawa celebrating that. You'd be clapping for her, not for me. This morning we went through a little exercise where we recounted the Lord's favor and his blessing on us for the last 23 years. Just one thing, the one highlight of the year from the year 2000 all the way up to today. And it took us maybe half an hour to go through that. Such a good practice to count your blessing. Listen, we're alive in the period that's after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the word of God. Not only do we have the word of God, we have it in our, in our own language. We have all 66 books for us. You've got a church that you can attend every Saturday night, you can come here. And listen, because you speak English, you have a thousand lifetimes of resources and writing about this book that we can read. That's the age that we live in. We are unbelievably blessed to live in this time period. We have so much access to God's Word and teaching about God's Word. We have a thousand lifetimes of it. So Psalm 67, verse 7 God shall bless us is very true for us. God has blessed us. We should count our blessings. But then it also says in verse 7 now, and I realize we're reading this out of works. Remember, we're working our way to the middle. So verses 1 and verse 7 go together. So the very last thing in verse 7 says there, let the ends of the earth fear him. Why? Like why? If we're asking the Lord to, to bless us, why, why, why are we... Why are we asking people to fear him? Well, let's just stop and consider for a second. Who, who, who is God? What is, what is God's character? I mean, we, we know and serve a God who created the heavens and the earth. Scripture describes him as not just holy. Isaiah wrote, holy, holy, holy. 
Other words in Scripture, he's, he's, he's described as a consuming fire. Listen, he holds the universe in the palm of his hand. Nothing happens outside of his command or his will. Your heart does not beat without God giving it permission. Your lungs do not fill with breath unless God says, okay. Because he's sovereign and he's over everything. He is love. That's the primary word that we use to describe God. He's, he's love. He's perfect. The Lord is omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. And he's coming back. He's coming again. And when he does, he has the authority to judge the living and the dead. And that should well up within us a righteous and holy fear of God as we consider how we worship. We're approaching God as we sing with a reverent fear that should be there because the beginning of wisdom is fear the Lord. That's what it says in Proverbs 9, verse 10. So we should rightly pray then. Again, this is written as a prayer. It's written as a song. We're praying, may God be gracious to us and bless us. We should rightly pray that. We should rightly pray for the world to know God and also the world to rightly fear God. That's verses 1 and 7. They're the outer brackets of what we're working towards together. What we're learning here is that God's blessing and our response is to have a righteous fear of him. That's verses 1 and 7. Let's keep moving down the scale now to verses 2 and 6. Our second point this evening is this. If you're taking notes, may your saving power be known among all nations. May your saving power be known amongst all nations. And then our response is, let the people praise him. That's verse 3. So I want you to notice here that there's a prayer request that continues on here in this psalm. Let me just read it again. It says, that your way may be known on earth and your saving power amongst all nations. And then verse 6 goes with it. The earth has yielded its increase. The population is greater today than it was yesterday, than what it was a thousand years ago. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. It's almost like a statement of fact. God will bless us. The request here is that your way may be known on earth and your saving power amongst all all nations. Now, as we read this together, did you notice all the different descriptions for the plurality of people in these seven verses? We see us in verse one, may God uh, be gracious to us. And then we see them, the people. We see uh, the earth described. We see the nations. And then we see all the nations. And then in verse seven, we see to the ends of the earth. So we're talking about us. We're talking about all nations, all people. Who is the psalmist referring to here when he's writing about all nations? We should stop and ask ourselves that question. Who's God talking about here? Who's the writer talking about here? Is he talking about the nations that were present at the time when this psalm was written 3,000 years ago? Is he talking about the geopolitical nations that we divide ourselves into now, like Canada and the United States and whatever other country, the Philippines, if you want to pick one the furthest away? Who's the psalm I'm referring to? Well, for that, we have to actually go back in our Bibles to figure that out. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Let's figure out what nations is the psalmist referring to. It's really important for us to know that answer as we continue on. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. So good to hear pages turning this evening. This is the call of Abraham. This is God speaking to Abram. This is about 2000 BC. Let me read it, verses 1 to 3. It says this Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now notice the promises here. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And then verse 3 I will bless those who bless you. In him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What I want you to see here is the us and the them here. That's the, we're trying to figure out who is he talking about in us. Well, the us 
is in the promises made to Abraham here in uh, verse 2. And there's a threefold promise. That's just for Abraham and the descendants of Abraham. It says, I will make of you a great nation. I've got a slide up for you guys so you can see this. Uh, I will make of you a great nation. Secondly, I will bless you. And then thirdly, I will make your name great. And we know that from that promise came the nation of Israel, along the lineage from Abraham all the way until Christ. But then there's a clause there. Do you see it in verse 2? The Lord says, I did all this for you, Abram, so that you will be a blessing. That's an imperative for Abram. So that he could be, he was blessed to be a blessing. And with that blessing now comes three more promises that God gives to Abraham. It's this, one, that God will bless those who bless Abraham. So in other words, the nations that were around Abraham in that time, those who blessed Abraham, God also blessed those nations. But then those who dishonored Abraham, God's curse was on them. But then thirdly here, and this is the one that we're after, all the families on earth shall be blessed. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ tonight, you've placed your faith in him for salvation, you can link your salvation directly to this promise that all the nations on earth shall be blessed. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Galatians 3, uh, verses 14 on the screen for you. It says this, so that in Christ, so this is considering this passage right here, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise, spirit, through faith. So here's, here's what's wild for us. Armed with the full canon of Scripture. So we have God's word from A to Z. This final promise of blessing can be traced from Israel, or from Abraham to Israel, directly to the cross of Christ, and from there to all the nations on earth, and from there directly to this church today. That to me is just so mind-blowing. That we can trace that through the, through, through the lineage of Scripture. Now, turn back with me to Psalm 67 now. Because we're trying to answer the question of what nations is the psalmist talking about here. And he's talking about all the nations. So, Psalm 67, verse 2. The prayer is that your way may be known on earth and your saving power among all nations. That was a prayer written down that they were singing. That a thousand generations actually have been singing that now all the way up until today. So listen to me. You are a direct answer to this prayer. If you love Jesus and you place your faith in him, you are a direct answer to this psalmist prayer that people have been singing and praying for thousands of years. That to me is just so wild. Like, like as we count our blessings together, church, the blessing that, that that prayer was answered in your life. So let's stop then and ask another question of application. Is God known amongst all nations today? Do all peoples know who God is? Has the gospel reached to all nations on earth? The answer, tragically, is no. And church is not even close. It's not even close. Let me explain. Right now, there's 8 billion people give or take a few, on this planet. 3.5 billion people live on this planet who have no means, they have no way, they have no access to God's word, which means they do not know the saving power of God that's being prayed for in Psalm 67, verse 2. They have no or very little believers among them. They have no Bibles in their language, and they certainly don't have a church. 3.5 billion people David Platt famously said, they, considering these people groups, they will be born, they will live, they will die without ever hearing the name of Jesus Christ. And we call these people unreached people groups, or UPGs for short. 3.5 billion people that have no access to God's word today. The Joshua Project, um, you go to joshuaproject.org or the .net um, a wonderful resource in considering unreached people groups. Let me give you a definition of an unreached people, an unreached people group. Uh, they wrote this up on the screen for you. An unreached or least reached people is a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize this group without 
outside assistance. So from a numerical perspective, a group is considered unreached when they have less than 2% of their population as evangelical Christians. So the, the best way to think about an unreached people group is a regional group of people that have their own distinct language and their own distinct culture. So right now on our planet, the Joshua Project, they figured out and listed that we have about 17,443 people groups in the world today that have their own distinct language and culture. 17,443. Of that number, 7,386 are considered unreached with the news of Jesus Christ. That's basically 42% of the planet has no access to God's word. Like no one, no one around them to tell them the good news that we're talking about in Psalm 67. They don't have it in their language. They don't have a church. They don't have any believers around them. 42% of our planet. Brothers and sisters, that is a very, very sobering reality when we consider who the psalmist is talking about here when we're talking about reaching all the nations. There's a lot of work to be done on this planet still to reach those who have no access to God's word or to the saving hope, the saving power of God. Let me give you maybe just an example of one of the missionaries that Carl and I get to work with. We oversee all of our missionaries that are working in Southeast Asia. We currently have 32 units, we call them. They could be a family, they could be an individual, they could be a couple. Um, it's our, our joy working with Reaching and Teaching to care for them. Let me give you just one example from, uh, from one of our families working together. They, they are currently in Southeast Asia. They're in a Muslim-majority country. Before they arrived in that country as missionaries, which we don't call them that, we call them global workers, because you can't just walk into a Muslim-majority country and say, hi, I'm a missionary. They will escort you back out again very quickly. Prior to getting there, they spent two years um, being trained to live in a jungle context. Uh, they are trained in how to develop an orthography, which is an alphabet, because more than likely the people group that they're going to try and reach has no written language, it's an oral language. They have to learn how to learn an oral language, then they have to learn how to write an oral language. So they've got two years invested in that. The next two years, while they're in the country that they're trying to reach, it's a country of many islands, they have to learn the predominant trade language of that island. That's gonna take two years just to learn that language. That's just the start. Now they have to go and actually live amongst the people whose second language they're trying to learn. Just to get to those people, they have, this is in the same country, they have to take a flight to another island. From that island, they have to take a 14-hour ferry across the China Sea. Once they get to the island that they're trying to reach, they still have to take a seven-hour open canoe in open ocean around to the bottom of that island, and that's where they'll live for the following two years as they learn the language of that people group. And they're still not actually in their final destination because their final destination is another five-hour canoe ride up into the center of that island. And in the center of that island is an unreached people group that, as we've already described this evening, um, has really no confessed believers, no church among them. So it's, it's going to take them probably six years just to get to the people. Six years. And that's when the real work begins. Now they have to learn the language. They have to uh, develop an alphabet. They've got to teach people how to read. They've got to translate God's word into that language. They have to start teaching God's word from Genesis to Revelation. They have to see people receive and understand the gospel and be saved. And once that happens, now the church is starting to be born there. So now they've got to raise up disciples. Now they've got to train up future elders and future pastors. So that's probably going to be another 10 to 15 years. It's quite likely that this family is committing at least 20 to 25 years of their life just so that one of the 7,386 unreached people groups can be reached. That's who we're talking about in Psalm 67, verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power amongst all nations, all nations, all ethnos, all people groups. Listen, there's a missionary task that, requ that is required to reach the nations. It requires a highly skilled and a highly trained person or family to do that. Listen, church, we, we desperately need missionaries that are willing to go to the ends of the earth. But it's a really hard assignment. And to be frank, most of us in the church, most of you are not cut out to do that task. I mean, if I were to take volunteers to sign up for what I just described there, I probably wouldn't get a whole lot of volunteers 
in the church to go and do that. That's really hard work. Why don't I just give you maybe a, a quick job in case maybe you're like the one person in the church that wants to do that. Let me give you a quick job description as a missionary. You ready? It's up on the screen for you. Uh, a missionary is one who is sent out by God and the church to cross ethnic, linguistic, geographic, national, and cultural barriers to make the gospel known and then to gather and serve and strengthen local churches. If you see that job description, you're like, that's me, come see me afterwards. I want to talk to you. But I realize in a church this side that maybe one, maybe even one in the lifetime of a church, that's the reality. It's a really, really hard job. So church, a really good point of application as we read Psalm 67 is that we would ask the Lord to raise up missionaries from this church to reach the nations. Because prayer, and I know prayer is at the heartbeat of this church, prayer is the starting point to reach the nations. That's why this psalm is written, so that we can sing it as a prayer. So some of you are thinking right now, I got off the hook. I don't have to go. We'll send, we'll find someone in the church. We'll send them out. The work is done. They will reach the nations. Well, we're not going to get off that easy. I want to give you, maybe challenge you with another point of application from Psalm 67 verses 2 and 6. You live in the, one of the most culturally diverse countries in the world. Man, Canada is awesome. I love living here. I love looking around this church and seeing all the nations gathered together. Do you know how jealous people are around the world of what we have? It is so fun to worship in Canada when all the nations come together to worship. Most countries are, are monocultured when they, when they worship. It's one culture that's worshiping together. You come to Canada, man, all the nations are here. It's what makes our country so good. Which means that, could it be that God has placed you in this city, in your neighborhood specifically, in your job or in your school for the reaching of the nations in your own backyard? Could it be? Could it be that you're the only Christian in your entire circle of influence and God's like, you're my chosen man or woman for this circle? I mean, just consider for a moment. Consider your circle of influence. How many unbelievers do you know? Probably a lot. Has it ever crossed your mind that the reason why you're here is to reach them? Like that should weigh heavily on this church, especially as you're working through an entire series on Acts. Acts 1.8 reminds us that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my what? Witness. Where? In Jerusalem. That's here. In Judea. That's like around here. Samaria. That's a little bit further from here. Oakville. We can be the Samaria in this example. And then the ends of the earth. So yes, we need missionaries to go to the ends of the earth, but the, the job description is actually for everybody to be a witness. That's the rest of us, the 99% of us who stay behind and do the task of making sure the nations here at home get the gospel message and then we're supporting missionaries who go out. You know, it's the local church that does the primary work of missions sending. It's the church that's, the church's, church planting is the normal means of fulfilling the Great Commission. It's through church planting. That's why church planting is such a, a big deal, not just here in our neighborhoods, but around the globe. Why? Because we get it right from the Great Commission. From Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That happens in a church context. The teaching and the baptizing is always in the church context. And, of course, the promise here, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'll touch back on that in just a second. Church, what we read here in Psalm 67, verse 2, is the core reason, actually, why you and I exist on this planet in 2023. So that God's way and his saving power may be known amongst all nations. That's, that's literally why we exist in 2023. The earth has yielded its increase. Verse 6, our God, our God shall bless us. God shall bless us. So if that's our prayer, now look at verse 3. Our response to verse 2 should be 
verse 3, let the people praise you. Oh God, let all the people praise you. Like how we put the intonation on that verse matters. Like when we're considering like the fact that 3.5 billion people have no access to Christ, it should be almost like a cry when we're singing that. God, let all the people praise you. Let all the people praise you. It's a song. This is a prayer. It's a declaration, but it's also, it's a plea. It's a plea. It helps us move to the literary center of this psalm. So remember, the the author here is drawing an arrow for us to the center, the main point, the big idea. And it's this. It's point number three for us, but really kind of the main point. Point number three is this. May the nations be glad under God's rule. May the nations be glad under God's rule. That's verse four. And so, again, verses one and seven is the plea for God's blessing and his face to shine upon the world. And then a step down, two and six, is the prayer for all nations to know God and his saving power. And then verses three and five are actually identical. They're like the hamburger in between the meat. And they're calling us to respond. And our response is prayer for all the nations to praise God. And they serve as a bracket for the main idea, which is verse four, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. In 1993, John Piper wrote a book called Let the Nations Be Glad. Raise your hand if you read it. Oh, okay. I'm buying copies for this church. (laughs) Listen, if you only read one book on missions or missiology, read Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper, written in 1993. It's been edited three times since then. I owe a tremendous credit of gratitude to John Piper and his lifelong commitment to his writing. If you don't know who John Piper is, go YouTube and watch everything he's ever said. Read everything he's ever written. It'll serve you well. But considering Psalm 67, verse 4, John writes the following as the thesis statement in the opening paragraph on his book. This is what he says. It's up on the screen for you. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. The whole psalm is about worship, that we would call people to worship God. Listen, the goal of missions is the gladness of the people in the greatness and the awesomeness of God. Listen, the center of this psalm also points us to the aim of the entire Bible, and it's this, that God will judge or rule the people with equity and guide the nations on earth. That's what we're building up towards. God's rule with us on the new heavens and new earth. So church, here's the bottom line. One day soon, God will return. Christ will return. And he will return as conquering king. He will bring all peoples, past and present, to final judgment. On that day, there will only be two groups There won't be 7,000 or 17,000 groups. There'll be two. Those who worshipped him or those who didn't. They are the redeemed in Christ. This is group number one. Those who worshipped him, us, the redeemed in Christ, will worship him forever. These are the Christians. They're the citizens of heaven. We're the sons and daughters of a holy God. Or those who are elected and adopted into the family of Christ. Remember that day when God rescued you and you became a member and a citizen of heaven? That's the first group. But there's a second group, and they're the ones who did not worship him. In Romans 1, 18 to 23, Paul describes this group for us. Let me just read this. It's worth reading. This is the second group who did not worship God. And the reality is, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men, who led by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what, we can, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. They are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's the second group. And, loved ones, the day is coming when all the nations will be reached. And the current age that we're living in right now, the age that we're talking about at the end of the Great Commission, that's going to draw to a close. And Christ will return. He's going to restore all things to right order. And on that day, Scripture says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We sang that already today. It's Philippians 2, verse 10. I know this will happen. You know that this will happen. Let's read another song together. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 8. I want you to see this new song that will be sung at the return of Christ. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. So good to hear those pages turning. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8 says this. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, an instrument, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, okay, what is this new song? Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people of God. This is Christ we're talking about. Look at this. From every tribe, language, and people, and nation. There it is. The people groups that we're talking about. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is the new song that's going to be composed at some point. And it's written here as fact. It will happen. This day will come. We will stop singing Psalm 67. We will start singing this. I can't wait to see what the chorus is. Like, how, what notes is that going to be? You guys ever think about that? Like, what's that actually going to sound like when we get to sing this? It's a new song that will be sung in that day. Listen, Scripture clearly touches, teaches here that every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation will be reached. We know that work will get done. He will do it. Christ will return. He will establish his kingdom on earth. And on that day, only one thing matters. Did you worship him or not? That's the only thing that matters. Did you worship Christ? Did you worship God or not? I think it's even a word of application for us tomorrow or on Monday. Like in the choices that we're making, am I choosing to worship God right now or not? And what I'm about to watch, am I choosing to worship God or not? And what I'm about to say, am I really demonstrating that I worship God or am I demonstrating that I actually worship myself? So at the end of days, the only thing that will matter is did you worship him or not? Let me wrap up with just this closing thought. I spent some time this evening, I wanted to explain to you the chiastic structure of Psalm 67. It's helpful for us to understand how poetry is written. It helps us understand the psalm better, hopefully, as you approach it. Next time you read it, hopefully you'll have a better understanding of how that psalm is structured. But it actually also helps us understand how the redemptive storyline of the Bible is structured. Now, the next five minutes, I can't talk about the entire storyline of, uh, of God's word. Um, but simply this, I, I drew a little diagram for you. This is the best I could do with a little bit of help from one of your guys here. And I want you to think about the story of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the people on it lived in perfection under God's rule and under his blessing. God dwelt with man. That's Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. But then, of course, in Genesis 3, sin enters the picture through the lies of Satan. And the sin separates man from God. And we find out that not as a just separation, that's a curse, but the curse of sin is death. And the result is eternal punishment 
in a literal hell. That's what the Bible teaches. A literal hell for all of eternity. So from Genesis 3 all the way up now to the Gospels is the redemptive story of how God will reconcile his people back to him. Who will pay for the sin of the people and make them holy so that he can be in their presence again? Because holiness cannot dwell with unholiness. That's the entire storyline from Genesis chapter 3 all the way up to the Gospels. The question is, who will pay for the sin of the people and make them holy? The answer is, and we should know this church, the answer is Jesus Christ. Listen, all of the Old Testament is a giant arrow that points to Christ and to his redemptive work. All of the stories are pointing forward to Christ. Listen, God used the story of the Israelites and the covenant blessings of Adam and Noah and Moses and David to demonstrate that his people would either choose to worship him and if they did, they would enjoy his covenantal blessings or they would choose not to worship him and they would suffer covenantal curses. That's the whole story of the Old Testament. And that leads us right to the biblical narrative, right? The biblical narrative leads right to the center. The center is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross. This is God, not with us, God as us. And his redemptive work on the cross. This is the gospel. Simple as this. This is the center of the Bible. This is the center of the story. This is the center of our lives. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's John 3.16. That's the center of the Bible. That's the center of the gospel. Just like Psalm 67 was pointing us towards the center that we must reach all the nations, the entire storyline of the Bible is pointing us to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that God sent his son as a propitiation for our sin, as a substitute for us, to pay the penalty that we could not pay, to be our substitute, to literally take the sin off us and put it on him. And in that moment when he died and suffered, he paid the penalty that we couldn't pay. And then he rose again to prove that he is who he says he was. God with man, God as man, God for man. So when we hear the gospel, we, just like in Psalm 67, we have to have a response. And the response is laid out for us. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's our response when we consider what Christ did for us. That if, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and he's just, he will forgive us our sin. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says, you will be saved. It's the repent and believe. That's our response to the center of the redemptive story of the Bible. Some of you need to hear that, I think, tonight, or at least be reminded of it tonight. You need to believe and you need to worship. You know that all of history came down to like that point in your life where you submitted to Christ? Or maybe even right now, all of history is coming down to this point right now. Will you worship or not? Will you believe or not? Will you confess your sin or not? Because at the end of the day, there is only going to be two groups. Those who worship him and those who didn't worship him. The ones who worship him go on to an eternity with him in perfection. It's now new heavens and the new earth. And as is described in Revelation chapter 21, God with man and new heavens and earth. So we are the New Testament people of God. We are pointing now back to Christ. The Old Testament people pointed forward to Christ. We point back to Christ. And again, we're waiting for the same thing that they're waiting for, for Christ to return and set up his kingdom here on earth. So here's the bottom line for our message today. Worship God and enjoy him forever. And then call others to do the same. That's the Westminster Shorter Catechism. 
that we should worship God and enjoy him together. We get this all from Psalm 67. Isn't that, isn't that wild? Like it's a song that was written for us 3,000 years ago. And it's, it literally guides us to the center of why we're here on the planet, that we would worship God and enjoy him forever and call others to do the same. Listen, we need to warn others about the wages of sin. We need to reach others who have no access to the gospel right now. And we need to worship God. Now, what should our response be? Turn with me back now. If you're still in Revelation chapter 5, go back to Psalm 67, verse 5. Let's read it together. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh God, that that would be true. Would you pray with me? Let's pray that. Father, would all the peoples praise you? Father, would all the peoples have access to your word in the years to come? Father, we have no idea how long it'll take to reach the rest of the earth, the ends of the earth. Father, we know we're, we're maybe halfway there. There's so much work to be done. So, Father, help us individually do our part. Father, would you raise up in this church missionaries who are willing to sign up for the hard, long task of bringing the gospel to a group of people who have no access to it? And would you also just continue to raise up in this church, Father, a people who recognize why they're alive in 2023 and why they've been put in their neighborhoods and in their workplaces and in their schools so they can be a light of the gospel to those who are perishing. So God, help us to do our jobs. God, help us to worship you and enjoy you forever. Help us to call other people to do the exact same thing. That's a work of the Spirit. And we know it's happening because Acts 1.8 says so. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witness. So Father, whether you're calling us to be a witness in our homes or in our workplaces or in our neighborhoods or in our schools or in our sports clubs or to a people on the other side of the planet who have no access to you. Either way, God, would your name be glorified? Would you be honored and praised and worshiped amongst the nations? We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.